You're listening to the Empowered Parent Podcast with Ryan and Kayla North, hosted by Chris Turner, a One Big Happy Home production. This podcast equips parents to empower their children and build healthy relationships throughout the home in order to see lasting change and thrive as a family. This is for families of all kinds, especially those who are parenting kids through adoption, foster care, kinship care, or in the process. This podcast is a trust-based, trauma-informed, connected parenting resource. To learn more, visit OneBigHappyHome.com. Greetings and welcome to yet another episode of the Empowered Parent Podcast. Joining me, as always, are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. I was like, joining me as always. Like, you, you almost sound annoyed well, by that. Well, who else joins me? It's always <laughs> the two of you. Because I know, that's it's the podcast. As I mean, always, it's Ryan and it's... Kayla and Chris. And so, yes. you know. I hope you don't mind putting up with them as much as I mind putting up with them. You know what that like? You said that it, been what he not was me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, in spite of all of that, it is good to see you, Christopher. Well, thank yes. you. It is good yes. to see you guys, too. Missed you last week. Yes, Things are a little, a little uh, tense oh. at my house, so to speak, just between uh, working and now my going back to school. And it's not just, you know, casual, oh, you know, here's one class a semester kind of a thing. No, it's let's do one class in half the time the normal class gets done because right. that's just the way online school works these days. And so, yeah, I'll give everybody a, uh, a hint. To and I was enroll. sick to boot. So there when was Chris that said well. he was. Going back to school, school. He spelled it G E A U X I N G. <laughs> this is true. I am going back to online school with the school I grew up going to. Yes, the LSU cool. Tigers of Shreveport, Louisiana. <laughs> I've never lived in Shreveport. Oh, I know they're not in Shreveport. I didn't there know they weren't in Shreveport. See, there, now you're confusing people. There is LSU Shreveport. That is one of the satellite oh, campuses. It's, a campus? it's in Baton yes. Rouge. Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge is the main Rouge. campus. It's just oh, Louisiana State University and A&M College. And then there's LSU Shreveport. There's LSU Eunice. There's now LSU Alexandria. LSU Eunice, uh, quick little Fancy. tidbit there. Uh, they hold the claim to, I think they hold, I don't know if it's the most junior college or division three or whatever level they play at athletic-wise, base national uh, championships in baseball, but they have quite a few that they've won over the last couple of decades. I've only learned that recently working on an LSU sports podcast. So there you go. I'm Brian North, <laughs> and welcome to the LSU Trivia Show. <laughs> Joining me tonight is People LSU like. Tiger Chris Turner. Well, you know, I growing up in Baton Rouge, I did develop a, a great attachment to university. Oh, and so. Like my little segue there, since that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, because that's it. one of those kind of buzzy words that gets thrown around a lot in foster care and adoption circles, attachment. And so I figure maybe that's one of those things we need to talk to our audience about, because uh, some folks, you know, coming to this new, they're, they're coming to our podcast as newer prospective foster and adoptive parents looking mm -hmm. for some help. And attachment is extremely important, as the three of us all know, and we want to you know, kind of pass on some basics to them to help them with their relationships with their kids. I think it's yes. so funny, you know, we talk about basics of attachment and every time I hear teaching on attachment, 
I learned something new. And I think, is there actually anything that's basic about attachment? Like it's like one of those complex things, you know, like when you first hear the word attachment, maybe, you know, you hear it because somebody tells you that your child has an attachment disorder or Mm -hmm. you hear the word, you know, you're in training classes and you hear reactive attachment disorder. And, and so you hear it from that perspective, or maybe you heard it as like, you know, building healthy attachments with your kids and, you know, maybe, but you hear the word and then you learn about it and then you hear somebody else teach on it and you learn it from a slightly different perspective or you read this book and you go, that never occurred to me or, you know, so I always think it's funny when we talk about, you know, because we teach all the time on basics of attachment because what is really, what's the basics, you know, what do we need to know in order to understand attachment? And I keep thinking, I don't know that I'll ever know all that I need to know. Okay. Cause, cause I, in all honesty, I was about to reduce it down to the basics of attachment when you asked that, because you're right. It is com- <laughs> no, it is complicated and it's an ever growing field. Yeah. And, and I will tell you that, um, as of this recording here in January, 2021, uh, two days ago, I just finished a book that, that very quickly rose up the ranks of one of my favorite books. And that is the power of showing up by Tina Payne Bryson and Dan Siegel. And the same way that they explain neuroscience in words that moms and dads can understand in the whole brain child, that's how they explain attachment. So if you are a parent out there and uh, you really want to, to learn a little bit, it's fantastic. I loved it. Um, we'll have a, a link in the, the show notes if you just want to click on it and, and buy it um, that way. Uh, but it's fantastic. But 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 in the title kind of is the basics of attachment, right? You have to show up for your kids. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if they come to understand that, that they matter to you, it completely alters the way that they do relationships as adults. And so um, I love it. I also love that every chapter ends with, um, ends with a section called Showing Up for Yourself. It's fantastic. I could not, not recommend it more um, than I just did. There you go. Good plug. Yeah, we started listening to it as an audio book and I was just like, where's my pad of paper? And like, I just like, I needed the actual physical book so I could start underlining and, you know, highlighting and all that stuff. I was like, I don't think I can do audio on this one. I think I need the actual. So thankfully it just came out in paperback. So we got the paperback so we could finish it and actually do justice. Because if you see the books at our house, particularly the ones that you know, are about parenting or, you know, just being a better person. All of our books are like underlined and highlighted and notes in the side. And, and that's, that's my bad influence on Ryan. Cause he used to never like ever write in any book ever. It's true. But I like to write in them. I'm like, what else am I going to do with it? It's not like I'm going to sell it one day as a collector's item. I want to keep it. And I want it to be like, I want my kids to look back and go, Oh, look, it's mom's notes in the side of what she mm. was learning in this. And Well, something Ryan said about when he's talking about, you know, the power of showing up as parents, there's something else that kind of goes hand in hand with the whole attachment thing. And that's another fancy word that gets thrown around a lot and it's regulation. Mm-hmm. And we kind of got to talk about the stages of regulation because that factors directly into how attachment works with our kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, you're right. That's sort of going right back to the, the very beginning. And so for those not, not familiar with those stages of regulation, there's this 
other regulation, co-regulation, and then self-regulation. And then for the for the years, um, as Kayla and and I, um, you know, part of the intake of teaching parenting classes, we'd ask, "How do you define success as a parent?" And and typically, <laughs> um, some version of we want to raise independent, well-adjusted, contributing members of society. And if that audience uh, is a Christian audience, they will also then add who love the Lord. And so that sounds good. I don't think anybody would argue with that as a as a good and valid um, definition of, of success as a parent. But the question is, what are you prepared to do to raise that child? And that's kind of where the, where the rubber meets the road. So, so we have to talk about these other stages of regulation because if you want that independent contributing member of society – which means somebody who can self-regulate, right? They can calm themselves by themselves. They can regulate their emotions. They're at a place where their, their emotional responses do not get so, so big that they, it prevents them from, from, from clear and right thinking, right? If you want that kid, then you, then you have to first have the other regulated kid. And it's easy, it makes easy, it's easy for us to make sense of it when we think of a child is born into a family where their child is loved, adored, and wanted, okay? And there's no issues. The child is doted on. When that child cries, an attuned, competent, available caregiver meets their need. When the because the, you know it's it's simple triage, diaper, food, sleep, attention. That's it, right? I mean, if it's more, I mean, it might be more than that, but that, that's the big four in certainly the kids. And so we're okay with that part because babies are cute and cuddly. But then there's this co-regulation phase when you've got the seven-year-old. Who you have to show how to do things. And, and I just want to caution this before I stop talking about regulation, is that sometimes we think of the stages of regulation as we meet the requirements of, 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 the, of the other regulation stage. Check, we fed the baby every time the baby was hangry, hungry. Then we go into <laughs> co-regulation sometimes phase. Sometimes do get hangry. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I was gonna say that and too. now we didn't feed the child, but we helped the child feed themselves. We showed them how to make a sandwich. We showed them how to get water out the fridge, whatever, right? Oh, we've done that check, and now we just expect the people to regulate themselves. But as as somebody who has a range of eight years old to eighteen years old, I will tell you that you move from one into a more dominant, but you don't ever actually complete a stage. It just is less like there's other regulation that still happens between from between me and my eighteen year old son, Kayla and our eighteen year old son, um, but but that's not the dominant. Um, regulation that happens. I mean, let's be honest, there's still other regulation that helps that happens between me and my wife, right? Sometimes one of right. us has to really help the other one regulate because, you know, and, and whether that be like, I can tell that, that you're, you're hangry um, because I know you haven't eaten yet. So I'll just <laughs> get a protein bar and put it on your desk. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think those stages of regulation are, they, you know, people, it makes sense to us when we talk about it from a baby perspective and we talk about trying to find the need of a baby and meet the need and hit that, you know, when you're completely other regulated. The hard part has always been when a family brings home a 12-year-old and they expect the 12-year-old to act yeah. like a 12-year-old and be closer to the stage of self-regulated instead of Actually, they're other regulated. So like, for instance, we had, um, I remember this mom we were working with years ago, and she had brought home uh, a couple of kiddos. Um, and the, let's see, the older one was maybe like 10 at the time when she brought her home. And she said, you know, I, I tried um, 
telling her that there were snacks and she could get a snack anytime she wanted one, um, but she would never go get a snack. But I knew she was hungry by the way she behaved and the things that she did. Mm -hmm. And she said, but she would never stop and go get a snack. And I said, you need to set a timer and you need to offer her something. Would you like this or this? And every two hours, you need to begin offering her something as if you were offering a baby a bottle. You didn't wait for necessarily the sign that they needed the bottle every time, but you just said, my baby eats every three hours. So at the three hour mark, I'm going to make sure there's a bottle ready for them. And so she may need you to actually do the regulating for her and say, it's time for a snack, have this or this. And not because she's not listening to her own cues and her own body, even though she's 10 and you're typically developing 10 year old that's been with you from, you know, the time they were a baby and cared for and loved and shown this those 10 years, but she's coming to you having not that ability to regulate her own needs very well. Um, And so that was for me, even when I, when I recognized that, because, you know, I, for years I had said, well, you know, just make sure there's food that's available and let them eat when they want to. And she was like, that's not the problem. She won't eat. Like she won't go find a snack when she's hungry, but she yell and scream at me and cuss me out and do all these things. And I know she needs to eat something more. And I was like, yeah, that's when you got to start, you know, you know, she needs to eat. So you just put that out there for her. And so I think when we have those older kids and we're, we're thinking of them in terms of, well, you've already gone through the other regulated because you're not a baby. They may not have. They may, you know, they may not have gotten those needs met in that consistent way they were supposed to. For many of people that are listening to this, that is absolutely the truth. And then I think the other thing to consider is they may have gotten it, but, you know, every kid is different. And every kid, it's not like... You know, when we first started parenting, we were like, okay, when they get to be this age, they get to drink out of a glass. And when they get to be this age, they get to, you know, we had these kind of like ages in our head. Milestones, right? Yeah. Yeah, It's like, you know, oh, when you're, when you turn, you know, eight, you get to get your ears pierced. No, what we said was when you're capable of taking care of your pierced ears, then you can get your ears pierced. You know, for Mm -hmm. us, it was like. It wasn't like just everybody got one. So we had one kid that got them pierced at 12, one that got pierced at 10, and our eight-year-old just recently got her ears pierced because she's responsible and able to handle that at eight. And that's the that's the thing that you can't say, well, at this age, they should be at this stage because even typically developing, you know, children may get to a different place at a different time and they may need a little more of you helping them regulate, are you actually doing it for them before they can get to that place because of whatever, whatever, for whatever reason, you know, just, they may be just your typically developing kid and they need a little more time, you know? I, I got a question for Chris. Yes, sir. Um, your, your, your firstborn has mm-hmm. a driver's license. Yes. And he drives without you or his mother in the car. Is that correct? That is correct. Do you still have any stress about that like you used to when he first got his driver's license? Are you guys kind of okay with it? No, because uh, he started to do school this year, which is not a neighborhood school that's mm-hmm. you know a mile and a half from our house. It's clear across town. 
So, yes, there is a bit of anxiety still because I, I've driven that route before, uh, before we yeah. got into a carpool and, we're, you know, when we had to drive our, our middle child to that same school. Um, I know what it's like during the morning rush hour. I know what it's like during the beginnings of the afternoon rush hour. And I'm just thankful that one of the, I guess, side benefits of COVID and more people working from home as a result yeah. is that there's fewer traffic yeah. uh, issues for him to deal with uh, on that yeah. drive now. Um, it, like, do I have that same stress from like the first week or two weeks of him driving by himself? No, not. not. But there is... And if I know where he's going, like if he goes to the rink for practice uh, or he's going to go hang out with his friends, I'm not nearly as worried about that anymore now as I would as I was at first. Mainly it's mainly it's just the, the drive to and from school. Yeah. Hey, friends, it's Kayla North, and I want to tell you about a course that Ryan and I created just for you. Moms and dads walking this connected parenting journey need someone to walk alongside them. And that's what Build is all about. We've taken the best connected parenting principles and put them into a six-week course where we can walk alongside you and help answer your questions as you try out these strategies and learn new things. Want to join our next round of Build? Look at the show notes for a link so you can find out when the next course is starting. All of these courses are taught virtually, so it doesn't matter where you are. Join us for our next round of Build. Yeah, and the reason I asked about that is because the stages of regulation make perfect sense to me when I think about it in terms of driving. Mm. Like be before, before, and so our oldest son has a driver's license as well. And before he was driving himself, before he could, was able to do that, we drove him around places, right? I mean, you remember putting right. his, 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 clipping him in his car seat. And then after that, you then showed him how to drive. Or like, like, like I don't know if, if you guys are drivers, Ed, if you, you taught him, right? Yes. We yeah, did the driver's so same, same with us, right? Where so, I was the teacher in the car, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. same, same with us. And so now, instead of driving him around, you're showing him how to drive. And then, and then it shifts a little bit because he's moving from the – you guys are swapping seats in the front. But now he's driving, but you're still talking to him and, and giving him a heads up and correcting him and showing him what he needs to know. And now he's driving by himself. He was other-driven, co-driven, and now he's <laughs> self-driven. And, and, but here's the thing. He, he would never be able to do it if you didn't first drive him around, right? right. Which is to, to Kayla's right. point that a lot of families don't realize that, you know, if, if your kid must being rocked, because I have picked, I have memories when we learned the stuff of Kayla rocking a seven-year-old. He was a tall mm. seven-year-old too. Like his feet were dragging. It was hilarious to watch, but he let her do it for a, a couple of weeks, if I remember, and it's a long time ago now. But he let her do it because when we, when we learned this principle, you know, to, to, re, to recover that which is lost, you have to go back to the place that it was lost. Right. Right. To yeah. recover what was lost, you have to go back to the place it was lost. And so that's all as I encourage the parents is, is, is you might have to be okay with your eight-year-old drinking out of a sippy cup. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can't say stuff like you're too old for that. Well, maybe, maybe chronologically they're too old for that, but certainly developmentally they're not. Um, and so that's some of the stuff we had to learn because we have to go through those stages with the kiddos and the thing that, that's hardest for parents most to, to accept is they might have to go all the way back to other regulation mm -hmm. as the primary stage they're in with somebody who's 12 years old. 
Because as we've yeah. talked about before, you know, n- no kids coming into the foster system or is up for adoption because of good reasons. Yeah, it, that's, that's just true. that's just never the case. And so somewhere along the way, that cycle of attachment was broken, and that's how yeah. their their regulation track got off track. Yes, and so we have to reengage them in that cycle of attachment to help get them back on track and get to ultimately where we want them to be, which is self-regulation. And so, Kayla, can you kind of talk about that that cycle of attachment, how that how that looks? Yeah, well, I think that is, you know, because what you said is like there's loss. Every adoption, every story of foster care, there's some sort of loss that has happened um, and loss of relationship that has happened. Um, and that's when we talk about attachment, that's where it is, you know, it's it's the strength of the relationship is what attachment is, right? And so very early on, it's formed by what we were talking about earlier, by a need is expressed and then, you know, the baby cries, somebody meets the need. And that happens over and over. I mean, if you think back, I mean, it's been a long time for for the three of us. It's been a while since we had those babies in our home, but it doesn't leave you very quickly that remembering of how often the baby would cry. And for us, it was our last kiddo, our baby number six, um, we have it on record that Kayla said last kiddo. So when she tells me at a future date, <laughs> we should have more kids. I'm like, babe, you've already committed to the podcast audience. And I feel it would be really, really compromise your credibility with them if we expanded our family beyond. Well, I mean, children. can I have a, can I have a redo? Can I just no, that's a go different back episode. And- <laughs> okay. So we have it on record that Ryan does not allow redos. Um, so you guys well, can. We'll uh- have it on. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean to derail you, honey, but we were, we were in, in a meeting, um, with with three other families uh, earlier tonight, Chris, and between the four families, there were nine and a half kids was the average number of kids. Now think about that. We have six, um, uh-huh. so it was nine and a half kids was the, was the average. Oh my! What did we say? That <laughs> there were thirty six kids between the four families. Thirty eight. Thirty eight kids. That's yeah, right. thirty six. Yeah. No, you're right. Thirty six. Yeah, nine, eighteen, thirty six. Yeah, thirty six. I, I do have I do have issue with that half a child though. It just that's always struck me as an odd statistic. Like yeah, well, you know, people have like, two point five children, exactly, or two point four, which was I think the average yeah. for a long time it was like two point four. Wasn't even two and a half. And I'm like, kind of got a problem with that point four of a child. I mean, I know it's just statistics, right? But it's when you're talking about people, that's not a great way to to classify us. To I classify don't think. Us. Well, it's like, what are you going to tell your youngest son? You're our point four. That's right, exactly. You're our point. Like, what does that mean, Daddy? Uh, I'm sorry, Kelly. You were talking about how how trust is established. (sighs) Yeah, I was totally derailed because you wanted everybody to know that we weren't having more children. But I no, I wanted you to know that it's on record now that you said it. That's that's really all I I wanted. I don't think anybody listening heard that. I think they all heard that our number six kid, the last one in our home, currently. Wow. No, I don't think we're having any more kids. Um, but my gosh, this is not we, my favorite uh, episode ever, Chris. <laughs> but um, she was a kind of a cranky baby, you know. She just was. She cried a lot. Yeah, she was. Very. Um, she was. I don't know if she rose to the level of what people would call a colicky baby, but she was pretty close. And I kept telling her, like, did you not get the message? You're number six. You're not allowed to be the crankiest <laughs> baby we've had in our house. Wow. Um, but, 
Yet she was. But what I've realized is it gave me a lot of opportunity to meet a need because yep. I did know all of this. You know, I think, I think early on in parenting, we did a lot more. Uh, we didn't know. And so we were like, well, I mean, we've changed the diaper. We've, you know, fed the baby. And now they're just, they might just might have to cry. Um, and so by the time she came around, I was like, I guess I've fed her. I've changed her. I'm just going to have to strap her to me and she's going to have to be with me. And cause that's what she needed. She needed to be, you know, close to me. She needed to be with me all the time. Mm-hmm. And now as an eight year old, she's very securely attached. And we definitely had, we had a lot of opportunity to build that trust because every time she cried, her need was met. Every time something was wrong, we figured out what it was. I mean, there were several things along the way. She had some like health things that, that we had to address, but we were constantly seeking what is that need. Mm. But for a lot of our kids, that attachment cycle is broken early on because that thing that's supposed to be building the trust and helping our kids learn that they're safe and secure and that adults will take care of them they're left in a dirty diaper for hours at a time. They cry and nobody the, comes to them. Or in front of the TV, right? The TV's entertaining, but it's a lousy parent. And I, I'm, yes. I'm glad you loop, loop back to that because it is in that child expresses the need, parent meets a need, that the child, the trust is established. And trust is established because the kids learn that they matter, right? What's the term for that? Their voice yeah. has effic- efficacy, right? Yeah. It, it is an effective means by which to meet their needs. And there's an added bonus too, because if you're a parent who met your kids needs that way, they learn that their voice will get their needs met. But if their needs were not met that way, then you're raising a child who has come to understand that the behavior will get their needs met. So this is, I mean, this stuff we're talking about, right? We, it's, it's like, we mean basics by it's like, you know, attachment 101. We don't mean like attachment is basic. And I think that's the point you were trying to make when we started, Kayla. Oh yeah, because there's just so many so many complexities to it and it's not cut or dry and you know, you hear about different attachment styles and people get kind of bogged down into what attachment style does my kid have or what attachment style do I have? But the reality is we're just building these healthy relationships and there's a lot of things we can do to keep building those. We don't necessarily have to have a, a you know, how much um you know, what is our attachment style or any, we don't have to know those things to be able yep. to build healthy attachments. Yep. yep we yep, don't yep. have to know um, definitively because the reality is, you know, there's not like a diagnosis for what attachment style you have. Um, but you can kind of look at the different attachment styles and say, Oh, I, I lean towards this. What can I do? You know, because a lot of it's just awareness, right? Becoming aware of what you do um, then enables you to realize that, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. I realize that I do this and I don't want to do that anymore. And so, um, we don't necessarily have to, you know, there's no diagnosis for this, but, you know, just being able to become aware of the things that you do and the way that you have your attachment style, that is going to give us a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, but that it's going to give us a lot of clarity, I guess, in, we don't have to know the attachment style. We just have to know how to build healthy attachments. Right. That, I feel like I rambled there for a little bit, but I think you get the point of what I mean. 
I don't know if you rambled. I wasn't listening. <laughs> it's just a joke. It's just it's a joke. Terrible. It's that just a terrible. joke. You did, you did fine. I affirm you. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. I'm glad I can be affirmed. I, I think I just find attachment so fascinating, though. You yeah. know, I think, um, I just think it's fascinating the way it works. And as we look back on relationships that we've had in the past, because, you know, attachment is, is, you know, you look at your relationship with your parents to figure out where your attachment style came from, but we can change it. It's not like it's, you know, if you didn't have a healthy, secure uh, parent that you can never be healthy and secure, you just have to become aware. You have to become aware that there's something different that needs to happen or that the way that you did things is not the best way and you have to move forward from there. Right. And I think what one thing you talked about just now, Kayla, that kind of went off in my head was you talked about, you said attachment's so fascinating for me because it's so varied. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's exactly like people, right? Which makes sense. It's, we're talking about right. relationships, which we don't have with, right. with objects the same way we have with other people, right? Yeah. And just like with people, there's things that are always similar because, you know, you guys were foster parents for, for a while. You had uh, children come into your home, stay with you for a while, leave your home uh, on right. a you know, rather regular basis. And so yeah. you got to see th- this variety and yet it was all still the same. Yeah. And yeah, that I totally see your fascination in that because you're going to see glimpses of familiarity with one kid that you saw in another, and yet the knee that was broken is different. How you're going to heal that knee with attachments, you know, different. And so we can draw on that familiarity from our past experiences for a totally new experience all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think um, one thing that, you know, as we were fostering, um, that a lot of people said, you know, I don't want to get too attached or am I really doing any good having this kid get attached to me and Mm. then move to someone else? Like if I'm, um, if I'm realizing that, um, you know, this kid is becoming not, I don't want to say attached because I think a lot of times when we say, uh, a kid is becoming attached to me. We just think like physically they're like attached to the hip and they follow you everywhere, which is not necessarily a sign of secure attachment. Right. Um, but I think, you know, when we see that that child is, you know, is becoming, you know, comfortable and feeling safe and beginning to trust us. And then we think, are we just doing this child harm by then sending them on to someone else? But we heard, um, and I don't remember, maybe Ryan, maybe you'll remember this. Um, we heard something about, basically it was like three months in a, um, home with at least one secure attachment figure. They did a study and they followed these, these kids to their subsequent homes. Mm. And they found that those, those secure tendencies that they got from that secure caregiver in just as little as three months time they carried with them for like, they followed these kids for like two years Wow! and they were still showing some of these pro attachment, these secure tendencies. Mm. It didn't mean that they were completely securely attached, but it meant that the things they learned in as little as three months 
they were beginning, they were carrying those with them. Mm. And as a foster parent, it was so reassuring to go, the stuff I'm doing, it really matters. Yeah. Like me making sure that I'm passing on secure attachment to these kids and that I'm showing them what healthy relationships look like. Mm. They can carry that on. It's important. And that as a foster parent was so, so um, just validating in our, in our work. You know, just, I just want to add something onto that. Uh, and that is, um, that is that, you know, when you, when we first learned that it was like, wow. But at the same time, now that you know that you're like, well, of course, secure attachments transferable <laughs> right, because if exactly. you have a healthy attachment figure as a child, you're able to have healthy relationships as an adult, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the ball game there, but it's so weird to think back on like, when we first learned something, we were like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, of course that makes sense. Well, and I don't even mean it from that perspective because I just thought that like, if I've got this kid in my home for such a short amount of time, Am I really doing them any good? Yeah, so, you know, so I think it was that was time it. Like, bound in your mind. Yeah, in my mind, yeah, you've got to have this long amount of time. Like it made sense. Like if I adopt a child and they're in my mm. home for the rest of their life, that we can be working on this healthy attachment, and over time, this is going to come. It never really occurred to me that in such a short amount, because we had kids that were in our home for anywhere from two weeks to, you know, years where we mm -hmm. had kids in our home where we didn't know what the outcome was. We didn't know if they were going to go to grandma, if they were going to go back to mom and dad, if aunt yeah. and uncle, if we were going to adopt them, we didn't know. And so to think that like in that time, no matter what amount of time I have, I can be showing them what healthy relationships look like. Mm. I can be showing them what it looks like to have somebody meet your needs, even if they were only in our house for a few months, that that would, that could carry with them. And I don't, you know, I'm not saying, well, if they're in your house for only two months, then nothing you do matters, you know, <laughs> but the study was specifically done for, you know, like this three month period of time, which I felt like most foster placements last way longer than three months, like yeah. three months is well, well below the average foster placement. But I just thought, that short amount of time, I can actually make that much of a difference. Mm. It just, it was so validating, like to mm. think, yes, what I am doing really does make a difference as long as I'm intentional, yeah. right? If I'm just saying I got a bed to sleep in and I'm going to feed you three meals a day, but I mean, the emotional stuff, I'm not getting into that. Like, that's just, that's not what I'm here for. That's not doing them any good. But yeah. if I'm saying I'm all in. I'm, I'm going to show you what it looks like to be loved. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be cared for. I'm going to meet your needs and validate your feelings and all these things that are, that are healthy in relationship. When I'm doing yeah. those things, I'm making a difference. Yeah. You know, I Amen. am showing you those things. Well, and speaking of that whole secure attachment that we're looking for and that those children for that short amount of time then carried on with them. We're going to talk about that in our next episode. We're going to talk about the hallmarks of secure attachment. So be sure to tune in for that. Sounds exciting. I, I love that we actually did a much better job of planning this this season. So you can say stuff the next time on the Empowered Parent <laughs> Podcast. Oh, the next time on the Empowered Parent <laughs> Podcast. Drama, dramatic music comes in. Oh, oh we, do you remember the TV show The West Wing? We could open the subsequent episode and it could be a recap of the previous episode. <laughs> The drums that dun 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 dun, dun previously, previously 
on the Empowered Parent Parent Podcast. Podcast. (laughs) Oh my gracious me. (laughs) Remember every episode previously on The West Wing. Uh, oh my gosh. I did watch the TV West Wing. shows did so. always say stuff like that. Yes. Uh, it's hilarious. Yeah. I never thought about it. I guess some of them still do. Especially, you yeah. know, the farther back you go, too, is the more serialized they were. They had to yep. do a little recap yeah. because you got to remember the, the early serials were shown in movie theaters because not everyone had a, te- a television to watch. And so you might I'm not have that you, old. Know, you might not have made the, the Flash Gordon that week or month or whatever it was. And so they had to do the recaps before each you're, one. You're like, Chris, you're like, not everybody had a TV back then. And I was just thinking about how my children would respond. They're like, people who don't have four TVs are lame. <laughs> <laughs> Like oh I told my, my gosh. I, okay, I know you. I know you're trying to end this thing. I was going to say one more thing. It's not going to trigger a discussion. I told my 18 year old son the other day. I realize you think that I'm irrelevant because I don't have a TikTok account, but that's not really a good barometer for deciding whether somebody is worthwhile or not. I absolutely think that we need our listeners to like tag Ryan on social media and tell him he needs a TikTok account because I think it could be pretty hilarious. So if you're okay. still listening and haven't totally bailed on us in this crazy thing, just please tag Ryan. When we post this episode, if media. I have 10, if I have 10 people uh, either tag me or the combination of, of tagging me in their comments, when they share, you know what? If 10 people tag me and say, Ryan needs a TikTok account when they share this episode, I'll get one. And do like oh, dances yes. and point at That's stuff. That's a really can, low bar. Yes, you're right. What bar. number should we? No, Give me a number. No, 10 is perfect. Chris, shh. He, yeah, Kayla he doesn't want 10. the podcast to be shared. She wants me to have a TikTok account. I think you two have a, a I mean, seriously. You two have competing I, agendas. I have, seen, I have seen some hilarious stuff shared on TikTok. And I mean, seriously. I can I do it. I think you could totally have a TikTok account and... I could get a good laugh out of it because I'm not going to be in your TikTok videos. All right. if, <laughs> Let's if be honest, me, though. It, we all know what Ryan's TikTok account's going to be. It's just going to be him lip syncing to the Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin with his guitar. That's all it's going to be. Yes. Okay. Well, that would I be mean, pretty fun. I mean, could we get a million people to watch? Because I have seen worse things than a million people watched on TikTok. Oh, it, it's worse than that now. I, I heard the other day that there are videos that now have been watched um, in excess of a billion times on oh TikTok. Oh, my gosh. All right, all right. I'm gonna stop talking because because turn it yes. yeah insane. Oh. Chris is trying but to if ten this people up. tag me when they share this episode on their social on their social media, I'll get a TikTok account and start posting videos. All right, well there oh you have gracious. it, folks. I can't. There wait. is your challenge. Tag Ryan. <laughs> well, I guess first you have to find Ryan on social media. He is on Twitter. He is yeah. on Facebook. Yes. And speaking of Facebook, he's in the podcast Facebook group. We actually Correct. have a new. Facebook podcast group. It's only for our patrons and Kayla. Where can people sign up for that? Yes. So, you know, in 2020, we launched our patrons, our our Patreon group, and we had this core group that said, yes, we want to support you guys. We want to keep the podcast going. And we're so thankful. And we decided we really wanted to have a special, a special Facebook group just for them so that they could get questions answered and get, you know, extra things and just, just fun perks for, I mean, right now the podcast group has just a handful of people in it, which is kind of fun. So we can um, really interact with, with our listeners. So if you want to become a um, 
sponsor of the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash empowered parent and sign up for as little as $5 a month. I mean, really, that's like one less latte a month. I mean, you know, we could really, we really appreciate it because it really does help us um, keep going and putting out new episodes. And um, we're going to be getting some feedback from our um, Patreon supporters soon on some new episodes and things they want to hear and all that kind of stuff. And so um, you want to jump in on that. All right. And as always, you can always find us on the Twitters at one big happy home. Feel free to shoot us a question. If you can squeeze it into 280 characters, you can also find Ryan on Twitter. So do some homework and look around. And finally, if you are not on Twitter or on Facebook and you'd like to send us a question, just send it to info at onebighappyhome.com. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Just search for the Empowered Parent Podcast. If you've enjoyed and gotten value from the show, we would appreciate a review in any of those locations. The Empowered Parent Podcast is committed to helping parents of foster and adopted kids through connecting, correcting, and empowering principles. Thanks for listening.